0: Students may have the capacity to be original, but in, in certain critical age, they don't bother with it. They don't want it. They hide it. Because what will my friends think? And um, this is a big problem, and, 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 and on several levels. They may have a good idea and they don't share it, but they all also won't pursue that idea. They won't invest in it further. So it's an immediate problem, but also a kind of a, a medium range problem. It can be avoided if students realize the value of creativity and originality, but also have enough confidence to just say no. Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett.
1: And my name is Dr. Matthew Worwood.
2: This is the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast.
1: On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education.
2: We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity.
1: All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom.
2: So let's begin.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second part of a Double espresso episode with Dr. Mark Ronco. We're going to get straight into it. And in the second uh, part of this two-part interview, Dr. Mark Ronco will be talking about the future of creativity research and an upcoming conference that he has.
2: So, Mark, where do you think we are in creativity and education research, and where do you think we need to go?
0: I think the educational research on creativity is uh, progressing nicely. I I think, uh, as you heard uh, previously, I I think there are a number of things educators can do. I think uh, they should be encouraging divergent thinking. They should be modeling it. They should be prepared to tolerate original ideas, even if they don't understand them. And... Um, the research is also using these ideas to a certain degree and and the and the tests of divergent thinking now that that's kind of a generalization there but uh, and, and let me just give you one example of that. I think divergent thinking tests are sometimes misused. I'm, I'm very concerned about the neurosciences, for example, which is an area close to my heart as a cognitive psychologist. And many wonderful discoveries are, are being offered in the neuroscientific research. But you often have neuroscientific publications that use a divergent thinking test and they'll put somebody in a fMRI machine for example and give them a divergent thinking test and then give them one minute to think of ideas and they'll call it creativity a divergent thinking is not creativity divergent thinking tells us about one part of creativity originality and we know from the research that what you see in one minute of divergent thinking is not indicative of what that individual really can do Now, the neuroscientific research is constrained because they've got this expensive apparatus. But my point is that I think we're making good headway with measurement and in the research. And some of that's uh, hopefully uh, spreading down to actual education. I know for a fact that more and more educators are asking about and reading about creativity. They are, as I mentioned earlier, just in a very difficult spot groups, students, and uh, administration with all kinds of pressure. Uh, And and in some ways, in the U.S. anyway, right now, things are actually getting worse with more and more constraint. So uh, educators are in a difficult spot. I think progress is being made, especially in the research and to a lesser extent in the educational practice.
1: So, so Mark, you know, I'm really pleased that you said that because sometimes we can be overly negative about progress in education. And I, I sometimes still hear people talking about the factory model and us educating for a factory system. But, you know, when I go into to some classrooms and work with teachers, depending on what context you're in, there's some incredible projects, even things like the science fair. You're talking about divergent thinking. I've noticed that educators have taken more time in allowing students to come up with their own ideas and their own original questions to some of the prompts that that then lead to a scientific project. And we had an educator, a principal on last season talking about inquiry based learning. And so I, I, I agree, I do think we're, that there is a lot of progress being made. And I think educators are becoming a lot more aware of when there are opportunities in their classroom environment to Promote creativity, to try and facilitate originality in how students perceive or respond to a question prompt. Um, But then also going back to what you said earlier, I think there are certain times where maybe the system is okay when we're thinking about the, the math tests, or you know, if we are in this moment valuing, you know, knowledge acquisition, then Perhaps it's okay to assess on what that level of knowledge acquisition is. I think in a conversation with Jonathan Pluck, we was actually talking about whether or not there ever is actually a blank canvas, this idea of the fact that we need a level of knowledge in order to help fuel ideas. And I think the idea of incubation, for example, the, the divergent thinking, the time it takes, is because we're making original connections based on the knowledge that we've acquired in the system.
0: Yeah, I like several things uh, you've just said. Um, One is uh, about factual information. And I think back when I was uh, raising my kids, they went to public schools and I thought their schools were excellent. And and excellent, one reason is because of what you said about opportunities. I felt like the educators were looking for opportunities for their students to express themselves and to think in an original fashion, even though they had, uh, you know, a curriculum to follow. They looked for those opportunities. And on the other hand, uh, I don't think they were doing enough for creativity. But, you know, that's coming from somebody who <laughs> devoted 40 years to the study of creativity. I'm a little biased in that regard. But my point is, I didn't really complain about education. I'm glad my kids went to the schools they did and had the teachers they had because the schools were providing traditional logic, factual information, social skills, some very important skills. Uh, When my kids came home, I did what I could to encourage creativity. And I didn't really need to do that much about factual information. Of course, we read a lot of books, but I would say that I trusted the schools to do most of the factual information, and I'm glad they did that. I probably did more for their creativity, not all of it, but more of it. And and so it was a nice balance. And I certainly was not upset with the education my students received, even though it was 80 or 90 percent factual knowledge and traditional logic and so on with a little bit of those opportunities you mentioned. My students and, and for, 22 years, I taught at a university where my students were all prospective teachers. And how many times did I get that question? What can we do, given uh, that we have to have a set curriculum? The first answer I gave was what you said, look for opportunities, because there are opportunities where you can allow self-expression and originality and probably even creativity, even if you're following a pretty uh, set curriculum.
1: So, uh, Mark, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, your role as co-director of the Southern Oregon Creativity Conference, which is coming up on July 14th to the 17th this year, 2022. So can you tell us more about this event and who might be interested in attending?
0: Thank you for asking that. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful event. This one will be our fifth, I suppose. It's hard to count. We had to uh, cancel completely in 2020. And last year was all virtual. Two years before that, we were all face-to-face. Uh, this year, we're hybrid. So we've been all over the place. Even from from uh, day one, it's been an amazing event. Uh, we usually have about almost 200 presentations over the four-day period. It's held on the campus of Southern Oregon University, and they happen to have a wonderful venue, uh, one building, so we're all in one place. We have um, all of the, the big names in the field. Uh, last year, we had David Cropley and Ron Begetto and Ruth Richards. Uh, we've had uh, Bob Sternberg. We've had uh, Teresa Mobile, Dean Simonton. Uh, this year, we have uh, Bonnie Crammon, and Anatoly Kirkirkin. It's an amazing event. We have all kinds of different formats. Uh, These big names give keynote addresses. We also have terrific panels with lots of discussion. And uh, it's structured. The event is structured. So there's plenty of room for interaction. They're not all just presentations. Uh, There there are workshops. We have uh, poster presentations. As I said, all kinds of different formats. Uh, In terms of who would benefit, frankly, just about everyone. That is anyone with an interest in creativity or where creativity may or, or does uh, fit into their career. Uh, we have clinicians and educators, we have organizational specialists, we have artists, uh, we have people with just an interest in creativity. Presentations really cover, their, well, they're interdisciplinary. I guess that's the, the umbrella term for it. So someone could come in with you know, one of those interests, organizational or clinical or counseling or education or or whatever, and and, uh, fill their time completely. With 200 presentations over a four-day period, everyone is much too busy. And one thing I really need to emphasize is that what everyone loves more than anything else is the fact that you know we have a presentation it goes 45 or 50 minutes we got a 15 minute break we got a lunch hour we've got social hours we hold social, one social hour at the local museum and one at the local uh, it's called science works um we have one social hour uh, right on campus there's plenty of time for informal conversation and meeting new people and exchanging ideas. And I think that's the best part of it. This is why last year with the virtual, I was surprised how good it was. It ran smoothly and, you know, presentations were, oh, it w- were good, uh, even uh, online. Um, but we didn't have that, uh, that conversation that uh, downtime. And that that really is the best part. So, uh, And I hear that from, from others as well.
2: So Mark, we wrap up every show with three tips that you would provide educators to bring creativity into their classroom.
0: One is, I'm tempted to say be creative, but I know that I'm going to have Uh, response to that. When I teach a creativity seminar, usually on day one, I have students fill out a little informal uh, survey. And one of the questions is, are you creative? And it's amazing how many students say no. Um, it's changed a little bit over the years, uh, in, in the favorable direction, but I, you have a lot of people who say no. And I think within a couple of days, everybody changes their tune on that. And they realize that creativity doesn't mean that you, you, know, you sing a song or paint a painting or write a novel. They realize what I said about personal creativity. So in a sense, I'd say be creative. I guess I would tweak that and say, appreciate creativity, uh, because, uh, educators who appreciate creativity will probably model that creativity, and I did mention modeling, but also tolerate the divergent thinking of the students and also put a little effort into looking behind students' behavior and thinking. So even if a student says something that's not a so-called correct answer, the educator who appreciates creativity may say, hmm, wait a minute, I wonder what my th- student is thinking there. Maybe it's creative and I just don't see it yet. So uh, be creative, uh, look for creativity, appreciate creativity. And I'm going to wrap that all into, into one thing. <laughs> um, a, a second one, depending on the age at which the, uh, uh, the students, it has to do with building uh, confidence And in the research, they call it ego strength. And I think one of, if not the main problem with creativity among students has to do with uh, social pressure and fitting in. And you can probably see why I said, depending on the age. This is really a huge problem in the middle and upper, upper elementary grades. Uh, it probably explains the so-called fourth grade slump. But you also see a dramatic shift towards conventionality and what my friends are doing and thinking. At again, up at uh, age 10, maybe a little before and maybe a little after. And that's problematic because a strict adherence to convention uh, precludes creativity. It's basically antithetical to originality. And students may have the capacity to be original, but in, in certain critical age, they don't bother with it. They don't want it. They hide it. Because what will my friends think? And um, this is a big problem. And, and 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 on several levels, they may have a good idea and they don't share it, but they all also won't pursue that idea. They won't invest in it further. So it's an immediate problem, but also a kind of a, a medium range problem. It can be avoided if students realize the value of creativity and originality, but also have enough confidence to just say no. And I use that phrase intentionally because of the, you know, the drug policy they had in California and elsewhere years ago. That's what it was. It was, I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm just going to say no and resist the peer pressure. The same kind of thing will help them with their originality and their own uh, self-expression. And I think uh, that's, I I think I'll use that as my third point. I could probably go to 30 with this, uh, regard. I think this is my third and last uh, the idea of self expression. You don't really need to look for unambiguously creative things of your students. Look for that creative potential we talked about and look for things that help with originality. Uh, and self-expression is one of them. And you see self-expression, boy, do you see self-expression among preschoolers. I mean, you look at their finger painting and they're going to do whatever they like with that finger painting. And, they, you know, it's all them. It's not style or what their friends think or anything else. Self-expression among young individuals is uh, a extremely important and leads directly to Creativity—it's something you can see in the youngest child, and it is just so strongly tied. And you can think about that: self-expression. Self means me. So again, you're you're uh, you're dealing with something that is uh, contrary to convention and conformity. So I would encourage, especially uh, teachers in the primary grades to uh, appreciate self-expression, just like it's full-blown, unambiguous creativity.
2: This concludes our double espresso of the Fueling Creativity and Education podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at com. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett.
1: And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood.
2: This podcast was produced by Creativity and Education and in partnership with dadsforcreativity.com. Our editor is Sina Yousafzadeh.